The sponsor for the month is Free Grace Press. Free Grace Press is firmly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical truths of his word. The inspiration of scripture, the trinity, the deity of Christ, the doctrines of grace, and the importance of the local church as expressed by the historical reform confessions such as such as the 1689 London Baptist Confession. To this end, Free Grace Press seeks to publish a wide assortment of Christian literature from both historical and contemporary authors who uphold these core commitments. Our heart is to make available books and tracts we believe will be spiritually inspirational, doctrally educational, and practically helpful for the universal church of God. The mission of Free Grace Press is to glorify God by assisting others in obtaining a deeper knowledge and greater enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visit our website at freegracepress.com and use the coupon code The Shepherd's Crook for 10% off your next purchase. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 163. And today, we're going to do part two of the episode from last week on pity. I'm just going to make some follow-up comments from that episode. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Mark Driscoll. I'd been listening to the cultish episode, not the Christianity Today series. I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. But had a few thoughts and wanted to go ahead and share those. And um, so I thought we would do this and kind of combine both of those things and make one episode. We want to go ahead and pray. We always need to pray and ask for the Lord's help and then go on from there. Father, we just thank you so much for this time. I pray for direction and wisdom, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for all that you've done in my life personally and all that you are doing. And as we talk about these topics, Lord, I pray with, with pity, Lord, that we would be compassionate. But God, that we wouldn't be ensnared by the sins of others because we pity them. And then secondly, the lessons that we see from the failures of a tractional church or underdeveloped ecclesiology help us to grow and help us to not make the mistakes of those that we've previously learned from. And uh, Lord, help us to learn from the mistakes of others. Help us to say just not that we're not going to do this, to draw a line in the sand and then grow and be better men because of it. And uh, so help us. I trust you're going to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, first, let's uh, talk pity. And then we're going to connect the Testaments here. We're going to be in Deuteronomy, and then we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to look at the consistent theme here of what we're talking about. And I wanted to make some clarifying points from last week. And Jordan and I were having this conversation, as I stated last week, about pity and the dangers of pity. And we got that from Deuteronomy 7. In verse 16, it says, And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not have pity on them. Or excuse me. Your eyes shall not pity them. Neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. We talked about the progression that's happened in that verse. And you see pity and then serving their gods and then being ensnared. Pity, service of false gods, being ensnared. And the danger of being a, being a, having, a, having a wandering eye and then pitying those that you see that are caught in sin, caught in sin, is that it ends up being a snare. You get caught. Oh my gosh, I'm caught by this sin. In Galatians chapter six, verse one, we see something else, and I think it is a warning, and it's consistent with this idea. You know, there's a lot of discussion right now. I saw that Doctrine and Devotion guys did a discussion on empathy and tried to, you know, I didn't listen to it yet, but. Uh, it was on empathy. I haven't listened to those guys for a long time. I was thankful for them for a season, and I just haven't listened to them. But 
they talked about how empathy is not a sin. And if, you, if you're not aware of the discussion that uh, Joe uh, Rigney and Doug Wilson had in Man Rampant, and then James White has made some comments about this as well, I think it really is important, and it's easy to understand what people are talking about. Yeah, empathy, if you empathize with sin, you can be ensnared. The biblical version is sympathy, where you keep a, a firm footing on the Word of God and you call people out of the sin and the, the trouble they're in. Just one second. My boys are both awake. The time has changed if they've not adjusted very well. Hey, boys, go to bed. Six o'clock. Okay, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I think that's the warning. Not I think. I know that's the warning that I'm talking about with pity. Is that as you're helping people out of the sin that they are trapped in, it's easy for you to also be tempted. It's for you. It's easy for you to be ensnared. I've seen this in my life. Bad company corrupts good morals. When you have lost friends and you spend a lot of time with them or in the workplace, it's easy to get pulled into a culture that's not godly instead of bringing a culture of the kingdom into that situation, into that into those relationships, it's easy to actually be caught and ensnared by the sins of others. So we have to be careful, and uh, we have to be wise. So don't just stop at pity. I mean, don't don't just pity them, and then just kind of just linger on pity, and just hang on pity, because pity can lead to the worship of, of other gods, or the abandonment of what God has said in his word, and then comes the ensnarement, and we don't want to be ensnared. And so we're thinking about pity, and pastors, you know, this is a a good warning for us to not apologize to groups of people who are entrapped in sin, but actually help them out of it. And if we don't help them out of it, and even as we're helping them out of it, it's easy for us to be tempted. So it's just a warning. It's just a warning. So I wanted to, to, to connect those dots with ensnarement and pity that I didn't connect last week. Okay, now, part two of today's episode. I wanted to make some comments on Mark Driscoll in light of a cultish episode that I listened to, and I appreciate Jeremiah and the guys that were on cultish who made it clear that they didn't believe that Driscoll was a cult leader and that his theology was not in line with the other cult leaders because Driscoll in a lot of ways had some, definitely had some holes in his theology and, and still does, but was, was pretty sharp in some other things. And I just want to tell you my history really quick with Driscoll and why I would even comment on this because I, I think that the position that I'm in and for the years that I've listened and, and watched that I've got some at least a unique perspective that some of you younger guys may not have and maybe some of the older guys who, who uh, maybe been just a little bit older than him and weren't really on the Driscoll bandwagon ever. Uh, I may have a little bit more insight than, than you just because you guys missed some of that that was going on in the early 2000s uh, up until the fall of Mars Hill. So the, the fall rise and fall of Mars Hill Church has been such a popular podcast. I've not listened to it and I'm not going to listen to it. I don't respect Christianity today and the producer behind the show, Mike Cosper, I I will not listen to anything that he produces at all. Just won't. Won't touch it, listen to it, look at it. Um, had some run-ins with him, and I just don't appreciate him at all. So I listened to a episode on Cultish, and they were talking about this. And, and if you've not listened to it, I would encourage you to do that. I'll put the link in the show notes. And they were talking about how there was such bad analysis from Christianity Today about the real issues with Mars Hill. And they recognized some issues, some problems with the Mars Hill stuff and with Driscoll. But the problem with the Christianity Today uh, series is that they did not bring the scriptures to bear on why those were issues. They brought a lot of pop psychology. They brought in some non-believers to come and assess the situation. They listened to some feminists and some egalitarians. And they really missed, missed, uh, 
not mischaracterized, but misjudged what, what the real issues were. And they focused in, apparently, on these two primary issues, uh, Reformed theology, specifically, I'm, I'm assuming, talking about his soteriology and his strong view of the scriptures, and then uh, on anthropology, on the, his complementarianism, which I, I wish was uh, a little bit more robust. I wish he was more on the biblical patriarchy side, in which he, he was certainly uh, in, that, in that stream, telling people to build families, which is really amazing thing. That's great. And praise God for that. But his problems were not primarily soteriology. That wasn't the issue at all. And it was not at all his anthropology. The problems with Driscoll, it was his ecclesiology. And I want to clarify, there was somebody on Gab, <clears throat> and hopefully, if you get to watch this, I'll put this in the comments, hopefully this clarifies some of the things I'm talking about. I, when, when all this stuff began to unfold with Driscoll, and I, I'm going to specifically focus in on uh, two things. Um, uh, the Vintage Church book and his definition of the church and uh, his issues with elders, or what he calls qualified leadership, and then um, his attractional adoption of attractional ministry and his understanding of the Lord's Day gathering. It is primarily for non-believers. But first, I forgot to mention this. I first started listening to Driscoll, and I am, comp I am indebted to what God has done through him, like so many thousands of people. I started listening to him in, in 2006, I think it was, or maybe seven, when I was trying to look for I was literally looking up this podcast thing, trying to find Rob Bell, because I read Velvet Elvis and was trying to listen to sermons from Rob Bell, and I found Mark Driscoll on accident. I started listening to his sermons and thinking, oh my, you know, these are different. Uh, these are different than what I was looking for. This is different than Rob Bell. And it took me a little while to realize, man, wait a minute, these guys are saying different things. This isn't the same thing here. Because that was right in the discussions with uh, Brian McLaren and, and the Emerging Church Movement. And, you know, what, what are these, what's going to end up coming with the shakeup that's happening with younger believers and Christians? And so I started listening to him, and it was an amazing several years. And honestly, as I think about this, and I was listening to this podcast on Cultish, and just been thinking about the last few years, and if you don't know, I was friends with Darren Patrick. I mentioned that on last week's episode with Jeff Johnson. And uh, I miss those guys. I really do. It, there's a... Uh, it's, there is, there's a grief that happens when leaders fall that God has used in your life. And uh, even in talking about Driscoll, I miss it. If, if you guys are, are around my age or been in ministry for 15 or 20 years, in the early days of, days of Acts 29, and uh, those we used to have these Acts 29 quarterlies up in St. Louis, and we would go up there, and there was just something awesome about it. I mean, it, there was just such a pull and a gravitas to that network and a gravitas to Driscoll. I mean, you listen to Driscoll, and like every guy I knew, was if, if you were listening to him, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a man I could follow. Certainly there's the critiques that I've even made and that Mike Foster, Michael Foster has made and others have made that Driscoll did a whole lot of screaming at guys. And, and, and the critique is, and even I've said this, that he didn't give a whole lot of positive direction, but here's how you do it. But thinking back and reflecting back on that, I actually think he did give a lot of positive direction. Build a family, work hard, talk about being countercultural in Seattle and I mean, countercultural even up to this day, build a family. I mean, who's saying that? That's the institutions we need to build, families. And it's like, before you go build an empire at work, build a family. Like, come on, build an empire family that's going to last generations. And so I miss him. I miss I miss him. As I'm talking about him, I miss him. I'm not going to listen to him. I don't think he's qualified for, for ministry, but I do miss him. And uh, I was talking to my friend Scott Tungay the other day, and he was saying, you know, Driscoll would have been a great evangelist. 
he wasn't a pastor, if he would have used his gifts as just an evangelist and go from city to city and blow that place up for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus and just travel, you know, there used to be a a role for that. You know, there is a spiritual giftedness of, of being an evangelist. And if he was an evangelist, the things would have went a whole lot better. But, um, but anyways, I just miss him. Now, with all that said, two big issues. Number one, the book Vintage Church. I pulled this off my shelf. And in, in a lot of ways, this was a book that was helpful to a lot of people. He did make a defense of multi-site in here, but he had a great definition of the local church that I'd remembered for years. And then about a year ago, I pulled it off the shelf and I reread it. And I thought, ah, huh, from the very beginning, this definition of church, there's a little bit of a hole here. And I, I actually emailed, uh, it was longer than, it was maybe two years ago that I pulled this off the shelf and did this. But I actually emailed him and said, do you still recommend your book, Vintage Church? And I didn't get any email back. But here's what this definition says. Because in the discussions with the emergent church, people were saying, you know, like, just, you know, and his, what he was saying is people could just go drink beer at a, at a bar and two Christians get to get there and call that church because after all, the people are the church. And he's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. There's something more to this. So he's trying to define the church. Here's what he says. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. That's the words I'm going to take uh, take issue with here in just a second. Gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, and are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the Great Commission and get in the Great uh, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission as missionaries to the world for the glory of God, for God's glory and their joy. Okay, a couple issues. Number one, he doesn't specifically mention the Lord's Day gathering. He says gather regularly for preaching and worship. But the biggest issue is that he says they organize under qualified leadership. He did not say qualified elders, qualified leadership. From the beginning, what we see here, and this was written in 2008, so it's probably written in 2007, which is right around some of the first changes to their bylaws. If you do the history, and I think they've made some bylaw changes in 2008 before they changed them again in like 2010 or something like that. But his issue from the beginning he moved away from what he was promoting for years, which was the book Biblical Eldership by Alexander Straunch, which is a really great book. Hey, Valor, come on over here. What's going on? Here, I'm, I'm doing a podcast. You want to, you wanna, here, come here. Come here. Hey, guys, you get to see Valor for a second. Just one second. This is Valor. You want to say hey? He's not supposed to be up yet. Okay, go ahead and go back to bed. We'll talk about it at 6. Go back to bed. Okay. So he wrote that book in 2007, and when I pulled that off the shelf and looked at it, I thought, there, there's some of the issues right there. Okay, we'll talk about it later, buddy. I love you. And so what we've seen develop with him is this idea now that he doesn't even need elders, and he moved away from biblical eldership, and it's just like, well, well anybody can be a qualified leader. Hey, you from 500 miles away, you're going to be an oversight leader, and uh, you can be qualified leaders. So his number one issue is his ecclesiology, his understanding of church polity. From that book forward, there was some sort of shift that happened from Alexander Strach, or Strachan, Strachan, I can't, I can't pronounce his name, but there was a shift, and that's, he is where I learned about that book. Biblical eldership. I mean, it was from Driscoll talking about that book. And then there was a shift all the way to the point where he's at now where there's no local elders at all. So his ecclesiology was what was wrong from the very beginning. Number number uh, two point of his ecclesiology, at some point he embraced an attractional church model. As soon as a church thinks the Lord's Day gathering is primarily for non-believers, 
as soon as the church adopts that policy, that this is about evangelism, that Sunday morning is primarily or even we want uh, 60% believers and 40% non-believers, and you start throwing out statistics like that, Honestly, it's, that's the point where the church is about it is doomed. That, that local church, the, the lampstand will eventually be removed, and you're going to acquiesce to culture. You're going to be all about the culture game. You're all going to be trying to be you know, relevant and trying to connect with the world. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up selling out. And you're going to end up harming the sheep that are there, that you're there to protect, that you're there to, t- to take care of, that you're there to shepherd. And instead of being a shepherd of the sheep, what Spurgeon says, you're going to end up being an entertainer of goats, clowns entertaining goats, because you're going to be want to be liked by the world, and that was the whole issue. I think uh, it was MacArthur that gave a warning uh, years ago to Acts 29, and he said, if you adopt these missional practices that you're talking about, and not good, healthy missional practices about being an evangelist at your workplace, and living obediently to the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you go, and being a man or a woman that brings the kingdom of God wherever you go, I'm not talking about that missional stuff, but this idea that that you can be culturally relevant and and not lose your way, that's a, an ensnarement. You know, talk about pity. You pity the world or, or adopt some of their practices or think, man, that's cool from the world. We're going to modify that and change it and make it cool. And then people are going to lean in and think, ooh, boy, this Christian thing. As soon as that's your model of ministry, you're on the path to, to, to death as a church. And it may swell like it did with Mars Hill, but your priorities are going to be completely gone. You're not going to be taking care of the people. You're not going to be shepherding sheep. You're going to end up entertaining goats, and you're going to turn into a clown that's not respected by anybody, and you're going to end up being disqualified for ministry. And that's what I think happened with Driscoll. I think it was his ecclesiology. It wasn't his soteriology. In fact, he needs to rediscover, listen to some of those old sermons of his, and rediscover an appropriate soteriology. It wasn't his understanding of uh, male-female roles. I mean, he was saying patriarchal stuff before biblical patriarchy was cool. <laughs> like, I mean, he was saying some build families. Those were not the issues at all. And it wasn't his strong leadership style. It wasn't, you know, warfare language. It wasn't reformed theology in the tenets that he did hold. It wasn't any of that. It was primarily ecclesiology. Ecclesiology matters. It really does. So encourage your friends. Uh, you you got to have a robust ecclesiology. A lot of pastors and planters now are not getting trained in that, and they're getting less ecclesi- ecclesiology. They're getting more missiology. They're getting more exegete, uh, you know, contextualize your city than they are, here's the local church, and what are you to do as a shepherd? What's the regulative principle for worship, and what is the regulative principle for pastoral ministry? What has God prescribed a pastor to be and do? And then by the grace of God, go and do that. Okay, guys, hope this has been helpful, and I hope you guys have a great week. Please like, subscribe, share. Uh, If you're watching on Gab TV, thanks so much for being here. Hey, share this thing out. Make this uh, available to more people. And uh, pastors, if you've not yet left left a rating or review on iTunes, please do that. Or anybody else that's listening in, please do that. And uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Thursday, we have an episode with Michael Foster coming out. Excited for you guys to listen to that. So here in just two days, uh, we got that interview coming out. Talk to you soon.